Well, good evening, everyone. Hi. Thanks, John. So over the last couple of weeks, we've taken a little bit of a break from our One Peter series, and we've been exploring some complex parables. I'm just trying to be very careful so I don't injure Dave's guitar. Uh, we've taken a little bit of a break from uh, the One Peter series, but we're going to come back to it tonight. And I'm going to start with looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. But before we do that, I want to just kind of remind us a little bit about this book. See, this was a letter written by the Apostle Peter to the believers scattered throughout Asia Minor, to groups of Christians, both Jews and Gentiles, who were surrounded by a culture that seemed to be against them. That's why we've... Uh, kind of called this living as foreigners. Because these Christians were surrounded by another culture. They were on the outskirts and they felt alone. And so Peter was writing this letter to encourage them, to give them hope. And all throughout the book of 1 Peter, there have been these threads that Peter has been talking about and bringing up. And this week, as I was reading through chapter 4, I kind of had this image of a tapestry in my mind. You know, these different threads being pulled together and woven into a beautiful image. Some of the ideas that Peter's been talking about are things like being exiles and foreigners amongst a strange people and the need to have and to be a point of difference, to be different from the people around us. Peter has talked about suffering and what happens for us when we are on the outskirts, when we are different from those around us and the fact that that leads to suffering. Peter's talked about who Jesus is and what he's done, the fact that he's our foundation, and Peter used the image of a cornerstone, something meant to help hold us in place and support us. Peter's talked about hope and using our lives and our actions to win people to the word, to be able to share the gospel with our lives. And so here in chapter 4, he's bringing all these threads that he's talked about. And he's bringing them together into a beautiful picture of what we're called to do with them. And so I'm going to look at the first 11 verses, 1 Peter 4, 1 to 11. And I wanted to start off with verse 1. And it says this, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. He starts off there with therefore. This is carrying on directly from what has come before where he's talked about when you suffer for doing the wrong, for doing the right thing. Sorry, not the wrong thing. For doing the right thing. So he's right in the middle of talking about suffering. And the very first thing he says about this is he reminds us of Jesus. He's pulling these threads of suffering and Jesus together and he's reminding us that when we suffer, when we encounter things in our lives that don't seem to match up, when we encounter things that are hard or difficult in our Christian journey, he's reminding us, Jesus has also suffered. He's giving us that hope. He's reminding us that Jesus suffered physically and emotionally on the cross. He was beaten and tortured. And so Jesus understands And it's always weird for me as 
a believer here in Australia to talk about suffering because, and it's kind of especially out today, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and it kind of feels like we don't really encounter that that much. And it's true, we don't. We don't have the same level of suffering that other people around the world encounter. And yet, there are also elements that we do encounter. There are those times when we are pushed to the outskirts because of our faith, when we are singled out because of our faith. And it might look different and it might seem a bit different. But what Peter's talking about here applies to us as well. And in a very simple way, this is talking about and a reminder that the Christian life is not meant to be easy. And so Peter's got a solution here. Right in the middle of this, he's got this beautiful idea of changing your attitude. And that sounds really simple, doesn't it? But have you ever noticed how an attitude is contagious? Because have you ever walked into your house or maybe your workplace in a bad mood and all of a sudden everybody's in a bad mood? Because it's always a bad mood that's more contagious than a good mood as well. See, our attitude matters, and our attitude is important. But as well, when you've got something that you are not looking forward to, when you've got something that you are really dreading, like maybe dinner at your mother-in-law's place. Now, I I never have that. I get on really well with my mother-in-law. But when you've got something that you don't look forward to, that you're unsure about, and you go with a bad attitude, it is horrible, isn't it? And yet when you change your attitude, if you actually manage to catch yourself beforehand and go, no, I need to change this, I need to change my mindset, and you go in, it's often not as bad as you think it's going to be. Sometimes it's worse, but not regular. See, this idea of changing our attitude is important, and it's the same thing that Paul talks about in Romans 12. You know, therefore be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That renewing of your mind, it is this test changing of your attitude. It is this idea of actually taking a moment to check yourself. And I love the word that Peter actually uses in here because he says, arm yourself. See, Peter's talking to us and he's saying, you might be in the midst of suffering and I want you to arm yourself for battle with the right attitude. Because arm yourself is this great image of actually picking up a sword and a shield, of planting your feet, of being ready to defend yourself. To arm yourself means to actually make a deliberate choice, an intentional choice, to make an effort to do something. And Peter doesn't just say you've got to arm yourself with an attitude because I'll tell you what, sometimes you can meet people who have armed themselves with an attitude and it is not helpful at all. But he actually talks about the kind of attitude we want to arm ourselves with. He says you want to deliberately choose to have the same attitude as Jesus. And that's challenging. Because when I read that and when I thought about this, the very first thing that I thought of was Jesus on the cross 
after being tortured, after being beaten, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. I thought about Jesus who goes away and tries to find just a a moment of peace to himself and then the crowds follow him and he doesn't tell them to go away, but instead he has compassion on them and he teaches them. He loves them. He cares for them. Jesus has an attitude that thinks of the other person first, an attitude that cares for the other. And so Peter is challenging us to actually think of ourselves and to put ourselves in that attitude of Jesus. And when we deliberately choose our attitude, it is this recalibration moment. It's this opportunity for us to reset our minds and our hearts and go, right, this is what I'm going to do. It's hard. But when I look at verse 1, I realise that Peter is giving us a lens in which to look at the rest of this passage. Because there's three different situations, three different ideas and three different attitudes that he challenges us to take on, to arm ourselves with. And tonight, I don't want to challenge you to necessarily put all these into practice. But I want to challenge you to, as we go through this, to think about your life and to ask yourself the question, God, which of these attitudes do I need to arm myself with this week? Which of these attitudes do I need to intentionally pick up and hold and be ready for battle in what is to come? So Peter continues in verses 2 to 4 and he says, As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living and they heap abuse on you. So here we have another thread that Peter has been bringing up throughout the course of this letter and he's weaving it in to the tapestry. And here it's a thread that we are called to be different from the people around us. We are not called to look the same or to be the same as those around us, but instead we are called to be different. And the thing that I notice about human nature is that overall human nature doesn't like diversity. Overall, human nature likes to have an us and them mentality. We like to have our group and then push others to the side. We like to define who is in and who belongs and who is the same as us and push the others out. And in Aussie culture, we've got something that traditionally has been called tall poppy syndrome. You know, we don't like it when somebody starts getting too successful. We don't like it when somebody starts getting too much better than the rest of us. We might celebrate it for a little while and then they get too too successful and too much better than us and so we try to cut them down. We try and even the playing field because human nature says we don't like things that are different. And this is what Peter 
is describing here. This is the same idea that is happening. We are different because God has called us to be. God is changing us and shaping us. See, God wants us to live our lives differently in a way that belongs to his kingdom and his ways. And that's scary and it's different and it's unusual for the people around us. And so they push us to the edges. They want to cut us out. They want to move us away. But there's something else about human nature. See, there's something that I notice in myself a lot, and that is when I get pushed out of a group, when I am told that I don't belong, my instinctive reaction, but I want to be in. I want to be part of that. I want to be there because I want to belong. I've got this desire for a relationship that God has put in me, and so I want to fit in and to be part of it. And that leads us to ask questions like, well, maybe maybe I could just give in a little bit. Or maybe I could just change my thoughts on this a little bit. Or maybe I can just compromise just a little bit and then they'll accept me and then I'll be able to be part of the group. This is what Peter's talking about and what he's warning against. So what he says to this is, I want you to arm yourself with an attitude of progress. Now I've got a table full of props here that I've been told would make Dave Clark proud. This is an extendable mirror and whoever's car it came off in the car park, I will return it at the end. No, it came from Gavin earlier. But the great thing about mirrors in a car, right, They are a very, very useful tool because with a glance, you can look in your mirrors and you can automatically see what is around you. You don't have to try and move all the way around. You don't have to stop. You can just look in your mirror and you can see the cars that are around you. You can see what is beside you or behind you. You can know if it's safe to stop or slow down. All with a glance. You can still be driving forward. You can still be moving forward while it's happening. The thing that I love doing in mirrors, particularly when I'm not the one driving, is I love to look in the mirrors and watch where I've been. To just watch the places we've been fade off into the distance. And I think that we actually need to have an attitude like a mirror. We need to have an attitude that understands that we are different, but we are different for a purpose. That we can just take a glance and we can actually see where we have come from and what has happened behind us while we're still moving forward. You know, Verse 3 of this says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You have spent enough time in the past doing that. Now, your list might look different. Your list might not be like that, but we have spent enough time there. We were doing those things. We were caught up in that stuff. And then somebody told us about Jesus. 
Somebody came along and we heard that there was a better way, a new way, a different way. We were introduced to Jesus and then we became a new creation. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are not who you used to be. I've been reading through the book of Romans uh, recently and I love Paul's conviction in Romans because he doesn't say you're taking baby steps towards being a new person. You are partway to being a new creation. No, no, Paul does not cut it. He, he just lays it out immediately. He says, you are a new creation, so walk in it. See, we need to have this attitude of progress. We need to look in the mirrors because this work that God is doing in us, it happens slowly over months and years or even decades. And sometimes we can get so caught up in who we used to be that we forget that we are actually different. God is doing a work in us and he is changing us and shaping us for his purpose. When we look at the people around us, we realise that we are different. We are different because he is shaping us differently. You've moved forward, you've grown, and you're not who you used to be. And so maybe this is an attitude that you need to hold on to this week, an attitude of progress, to glance in the mirror and see that you are not where you used to be. The next part of this passage is verses 5 to 7. And it says, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they may be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so you may pray. So, Peter is now moving on to the next bit and he's pulling in some more of these threads that he's been talking about. See, Peter doesn't want us to just cut ourselves off from the world. He doesn't want us to just be these separate little groups. Instead, even though we may suffer from people around us, Peter knows that we have an important role to play in the lives of those around us. And he says here that everyone has to give an account Everyone needs to give an account for their actions before God, whether you believe in God or not. One day we will all stand before the throne. And verse 6, it is talking about not those who have died and uh, a second opportunity to know Jesus, but instead it's talking about those who accepted Jesus and then passed away. Because remember, this is the first century. The believers were expecting Jesus to return at any moment. But when Peter finishes with that uh, word of the end of all things is near, he is challenging us about an attitude we need to have. He says we need to arm ourselves with an attitude of urgency. Now, I know that it's a really dangerous thing for a preacher to have a clock on stage because then everybody's going to watch the clock and not listen because they're going to go, when's he going to finish? So I picked an analogue clock, which nobody knows how to read these days. So it's nice and easy. I'm protected. That, that was the other reason. I did realise that you can't actually tell which way it is. But see, the thing about a clock, it's, it's great. 
A clock lets you plan your day, unless, of course, you're really bad at that, uh, like me. But a clock, it lets you know when you have to leave for things and lets you know um, when things are happening. It lets you know when it's time to eat, not just by your stomach, which would leave me eating the whole day. And I'm sure that we can all relate to the feeling of being in an exam and looking up at the clock and realising you don't have as much time as you think. And all of a sudden, the urgency of the essay that you're writing becomes so much more important. I'm sure that we can all relate to the idea of a Friday afternoon knowing you have to get some jobs finished and you're watching the clock and you realise this deadline is approaching. See, we know that clocks give us a sense of urgency and importance. It helps us to prioritise the things that really matter. And the thing that Peter wants us to understand that really matters is people. People around us need to know who Jesus is. They need to hear about who he is. And Peter understands that in our minds, when we are suffering, when we are struggling, when we are being cut out and ostracised and we're not feeling like we fit in, our minds get filled with that and we forget the fact that we have actually been given a mission. Go and make disciples in all the nations. See, we forget that we are not just saved for ourselves, but we are saved so that we can bring other people into the kingdom, so that we can share this kingdom with others. And Peter says the end of all things is near because he wants us to remember there is actually a sense of urgency about what we do. There is a sense of priority of the things that we are called to do and the things that we need to share. Because as he says, everyone is going to stand before the throne one day and have to give an account. And I don't know about you, but I'm somebody who really likes to procrastinate things. And I find it so easy to go, you know what, I'll have that conversation tomorrow. I'll have that conversation next week. And yet, maybe maybe we need to arm ourselves with this attitude of urgency that takes the possibility of procrastination off the table, that takes the possibility of actually putting this off till later and instead step into it now, even though it's hard. Maybe this week that's the attitude you need to arm yourself with, the clock that gives you urgency. The last verses of this is verses 8 to 11. And it says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen.
And so here we have some more of those threads that Peter has been sharing, being woven into this beautiful image and this beautiful tapestry. See, Peter has been talking about in the rest of this letter the way we are called to live our lives as Christians, but also that there is a purpose to our actions. Our actions speak a powerful testimony of the way that God has changed us and therefore the way that God can change other people. Our actions, our lives are a powerful testimony of God's power and what he does. And in fact, as we look at that very idea of suffering and urgency, the way we act in that speaks powerfully about what God is going to do in us and what he can do in other people's lives. And these verses, this is talking about the way that we in the church are meant to interact with each other, but it is also the way that we are meant to interact with the world around us. Love covers over a multitude of sins. It's talking about the fact that we don't need somebody to ask for forgiveness every time they make a mistake. That we're going to just love them and we're going to show grace and peace. We're going to allow people to make mistakes but still be friendly to them. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have boundaries in relationships, but it means that you actually value the other person as important and loving. But this last section, Peter's challenging us to put on an attitude. He's challenging us to arm ourselves with an attitude of service. Now, we do have a nice cupcake apron at home. Unfortunately, I couldn't find it. I don't think it made the move with us, but I've got an apron. I did want to find a butler's tray, but unfortunately, I've got no idea where to find one when I finish the sermon on Friday afternoon. So I've got an apron. And an apron represents service because you put on an apron when you're about to do something messy, whether it's baking, whether it's Cleaning, maybe. I mean, that's probably a bit of an old-fashioned thing, but the apron is there, and it's this sign of, I want to do something for others. I want to help serve. I mean, this is even emblazoned with mainly music, one of the ministries of the church. The volunteers who serve in that ministry wear this when they're helping in the kitchen. And an attitude of service, it means putting on the apron. It means getting the butler tray. It means actually be willing, being willing to help and to serve other people, to do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. And actually, I love in the passage it says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. And I love that that's in there because it reminds me that people are people, whether it's first century believers or today, because I wonder if this happens in other people's house. Somebody in the household is asked to stack the dishwasher and you get, do I have to? Fine, I did it yesterday. Does that happen in anyone else's household? Because after 12 years of marriage, Emma still asks me to help despite that reaction. Oops. 
An attitude of service means actually being willing to serve and help, not out of obligation, not because you feel you have to, which is what grumbling is, but it's because you know that it is important. You know that the other person is important. But we serve because we know that our actions and our attitude are a testimony and an example of Jesus to the other person. We demonstrate who Jesus is through our actions. You know, we're called to use our words as if it were God himself who is speaking through us. We are called to serve as if God himself is in it because he is. Paul talks about in the New Testament this idea that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representing Jesus in all that we do and all that we say. Every time we interact with someone, we are interacting on God's behalf. And so this attitude of service, it is being willing to serve somebody else, to be willing to give to them of our time, of our energy, of our gifts, our talents. And we're challenged to do this because there is an urgency that comes from people needing to hear the gospel, from people needing to be part of the kingdom. But this attitude of service, this is an act of worship. Because worship is so much more than just when we come on a Sunday and sing songs, when we serve those around us, whether they are in the church or outside of the church, it is an act of worship to God. It is an opportunity to show God's love to those around us. It's an opportunity to share Jesus through our very lives. See, it's not just welcoming. It's not just hospitality. It's not just being kind. It is demonstrating Jesus to the people around us with every single thing that we do. Of actually speaking the truth to them that they matter, that they are important, that they are loved. Despite how they may treat us in return. Because that is a powerful testimony in itself. Because attitude matters. The attitude that we go into situations with matters. So often we can get caught up on this or that. We can be grumblers. We can want to fit in. We can just get frustrated and annoyed with the people around us. We can get so preoccupied that we forget the importance of the mission that we have actually been given. And so to combat this, Peter challenges us to arm ourselves with the same attitude as Jesus. And I wonder, this week, which of these attitudes is God inviting you to arm yourself with this week? Do you need an attitude of progress to be able to just glance and see that God is doing a work in you, that God is changing you and shaping you into who he has created you to be? Do you need to intentionally choose to have an attitude of urgency? 
to be reminded of the importance of the mission that we all have for the kingdom. Or do you need to put on an apron and an attitude of service and get your hands dirty, showing them exactly who Jesus is? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to just say thank you for this letter of 1 Peter. Lord, I want to say thank you for those beautiful threads that he, that Peter has been talking about through the whole letter that he is bringing into this tapestry, this beautiful image. But Lord God, I also just want to say thank you that we don't have to be content with the attitude that happens, but we can actually choose and arm ourselves with an attitude. And Lord God, I pray that as we go into this week, as we walk out these doors, as we interact with our families, as we interact with our church family here, as we interact with people at work or at school or at clubs this week, God, help us to intentionally arm ourselves, to deliberately choose the attitude that we hold so that we can represent you in all that we do. Lord, these things we pray in your name. Amen.